Welcome to the Empowered to Connect podcast, where we come together to discuss a healing-centered approach to engagement and well-being for ourselves, our families, and our communities. I'm J.D. Wilson, and I am your host. And today in the show, we've got Dr. Maureen Michelle, who um, has a fascinating story of walking through um, unbelievably difficult um, early days of parenting and what uh, her expectations were versus her reality. And then um, her journey of going from a point where she thought was um, a, a moment she couldn't go on from and she needed to um, make some changes and the work that she did internally to um, change her perspective and her outlook on um, everything she was going through. Uh, I won't spoil it because you've got to hear her story. Um, and then what that has yielded in her life as of now, in terms of her ability to care for families with long-term illnesses, um, as well as being able to care for her own family and her own self. She's got some great advice for parents today. And so um, Dr. Marie Michelle is a physician. She's an author. She is a parent. She is a life coach. Um, and she has uh, a wealth of experience when it comes to um, helping families overcome unbelievable grief. And so she is working uh, in a bunch of those capacities now. You'll hear all about it now. Um, we're so excited to have her with us. Please welcome now, Dr. Marie Michelle. Hey, before we jump in today to the show, sorry for the pump fake. And I, I told you that Maureen was coming and now she's not, it's me again, but uh, I had to Big announcements I wanted to make for you. Number one is pay attention to your podcast feeds this Friday. We have got something special for you. That's all I'm going to say. You should check that email that just came in. Probably about our podcast for Friday. But check out a special episode, new episode, Friday of the ETC podcast. That's all I will say. But we got something for you. It's coming this Friday. Secondarily, if... Uh, you are listening to this live as it drops. Uh, we are going to be having our first ever Global Connection event, a fundraiser for Empower to Connect, happening here in Memphis, Tennessee on November 12th, as I said, with special guest SNL host Nate Bargetsy. Uh, we are so excited for him to come in. Um, personally, my favorite comedian, hands down, no question. Um, love his stuff. And so when we had the opportunity to um, have him come in to uh, share his comedy with you guys, um, oh my gosh, huge, huge win. So Nate will be presenting a brand new full hour of comedy on November 12th at the Peabody Hotel in Memphis, Tennessee. Um, and so if you would like to attend that event, if you want to come, Tickets are available still. We have a few tickets left um, for the event. So you can head to the link in our bio or in our uh, show notes, or you can say, you can just go to empoweredtoconnect.org slash investing in hope. Again, a few tickets available. We'll have dinner, drinks on us, uh, and an hour of comedy with Nate. Hear about the exciting updates uh, that we've got going on. What are we working on? What does what our, our future look like? Um, what did we accomplish this past year? Um, we will share those things with you at the event. Um, and we just hope to see so many of you there November 12th at the Peabody Hotel to see Nate Bargesi, a brand new uh, hour of comedy from him, as well as to hear about um, the amazing stuff happening at ATC and if I do say so myself, a worthy fundraiser. Um, we are we are trying to do a lot right now and, uh, and we need your support. So hope to see you November 12th. Tickets at empoweredtoconnect.org slash investing in hope and we will see you then. Okay, now for real, our interview with Dr. Maureen. Hey, 
Well, we're here with Dr. Maureen today, and uh, I, we're just excited to hear from you. Uh, so thank you, first of all, for, for coming on. And um, why don't, you know, I would imagine a lot of people are familiar with your story, um, but for people who are not familiar with your story, do you mind just kind of sharing with us who you are and sort of what, what uh, the origins were of kind of driving you into the work that you're doing now? Yeah, absolutely. So first, let me just say thank you for allowing me to be on your show and chat with you and share my story with your audience. Yeah. The um, I will kind of start with um, growing up that I grew up in a house full of kids. I was one of five, um, very kind of stereotypical family at that time where my dad was very strict and my mom was a stay-at-home mom who was like, nope, wait till your dad gets home. And I, I just say that because I think that um, culture of growing up in that house where we didn't really share emotions, we didn't really ask for help, was really the foundation for problems in my life. Um, the I, during childhood, really had two goals, a goal to be a doctor and a goal to be a mom. Yeah. And I was fortunate and able to accomplish both of those goals. Um, I am now a pediatric allergist immunologist and also a life coach who helps parents who have chronically ill kids, because when I was uh, a resident in pediatrics, my then infant daughter was diagnosed with neuroblastoma, which is a type of pediatric cancer. And my world crashed. Um, I stood by her when she went through chemo and surgery and all the whole works that go along with the diagnosis of pediatric cancer yeah. and really personally went into a very dark place at that time uh, with time and with kind of some self-reflection got out of that dark place but it was during that time that I didn't want to ask for help and didn't want to share with people how scared I was, um, scared that I was going to lose my daughter, scared that I was going to lose this dream of being a mom and being a doctor. Fast forward 12 years later, um, when my daughter was 12, I got to be the doctor to diagnose her with type one diabetes, which then again, like I thought we had already kind of checked that box on, mm -hmm. you know, bad things happening to your kid. Like you, you get a pass card for the rest of their lives. But no, it was like in a tiny school bathroom that I was the doctor who um, who figured out that she was urinating frequently and drinking a lot because her um, pancreas wasn't working to produce insulin. And um, again, my world crashed. Um, 
I uh, knew what life was going to be like in that dark place because I had experienced it before and I refused to go back to that dark place. So at that time, like really did a lot of work on myself to make sure that all of these thoughts that were going in my head of, I don't want her to have diabetes, like being afraid that what if she has a low blood sugar and doesn't have something to fix it. all was like I was spinning on those thoughts and and needed to figure out how to kind of quiet the chaos of my mind and be the parent that I wanted to be. So, I mean, that's a lot that you first of all, uh, I want to go back to the first. So when you are walking with your daughter through neuroblastoma and you just casually mentioned, and then 12 years later, mm-hmm. so it's a long gap, right? Yeah. Did, did the the black cloud kind of lift at any point during that 12 years? Did you find that whole 12 years to be a pretty tough cycle of kind of sadness and darkness? Or how, how did that yeah. 12 years go? And then how did that inform that moment being a breaking point for you in the back? Right. So um, that's a great question. And Thank you for catching me on the, you know, fast forward 12 years and trying to just glossing right over, you know, what really happened. The, um, and I will tell you, you know, the, um, every year that we got farther away from the cancer diagnosis, it became a little bit easier. Like I worried a little bit less, but, um, it was, uh, there were peaks that came because my daughter throughout that time still needed to go have follow-ups and, um, CT scans to make sure the cancer didn't recur. And every time that there was a follow-up, um, that I I could feel myself, all of these emotions coming back. Yeah. I was lucky though because um, I am a doctor, which means that I have friends who are colleagues who knew about mental health and knew, uh, you know, things to say to me to kind of help me during that time. Yeah. I, I will also say, though, um, that being a doctor, was also really hard during that time. Because when I got the diagnosis of my daughter, I knew exactly what that meant because I had taken care of kids who had neuroblastoma before. So uh, sometimes um, being naive causes stress. Sometimes knowing too much causes stress. And, the, but I was lucky to have a community that cared about me and cared about my mental health to be able to call me out on, you know, Maureen, you keep saying you're fine, but you don't look okay. Um, we need people like that in our lives. Yeah. Yes. Well, yeah. Gosh, that, uh, so that, that kind of leads into the moment of the, 
diabetes diagnosis. And then you've, you've talked about obviously um, having patients who would come in who you would you know, kind of almost internally roll your eyes at like, Oh, you're stressed out about this. You have no idea, sister. Like, so when, when that moment comes and you're beginning to wrestle with diabetes, you guys are walking through that together. Um, you know, I've, I've heard you and other interviews say that that was kind of your breaking point and, and where you knew, okay, something's, something's got to give here. And so what were, what were your first steps of stepping out of that and, and beginning to, to seek, you know, some help, where, where did you turn for that? And how'd you know what to do? Yeah. So I will tell you, I'm not sure I really knew what to do. Um, it was a fear of, um, going back to like the darkness that I had when she was an infant. And I was so grounded in my goals of being a good mom and my goal of being a good physician that I knew I needed help because I didn't want to um, let go of those goals because they were really like what brought me joy. Like I loved being able to see patients in clinic. I loved being a mom, but I was being consumed and not really having joy in either of those two roles because I was in my own head all the time and just consumed with being overwhelmed with guilt and fear and, um, and, and just all the things that come with caring for a kid who has lots of medical challenges. Yeah. So the, the first thing that I did, I will be perfectly frank with your audience was listen to podcasts. And, um, because I knew the information I needed was out there. I just needed to figure out what was going to work for me. And so going and, and being able to, um, educate myself was kind of that first step. Yeah. But I will even say that the, the, before that step, the real first step was wanting to make a change in how my brain was functioning at the time and really being aware that I needed help and being okay with allowing somebody else, whether they knew they were helping me or not, allowing somebody else to influence how I was thinking about life at the time. Who'd you turn to? Like, you don't have to say the person's name, but like, where did you turn to to start that? Once you were starting to recognize that, like, where'd you turn? Yeah. So, um, so first was podcasts. Then I went to, to books. Then I was like, look, this is, I need somebody to talk to. So I went to one of the mental health providers at our hospital to really have somebody to be able to really hear me out and allow me to get all of this that's going on in my head, like just saying it out loud and, and not judging myself 
for it because I think a lot of times that we um, feel like we don't want to admit something that is true um, because we have already said this, it's too shameful. Like I can't even admit that to myself. So I'm not even going to say it out loud um, or I'm too embarrassed or I, um, you know, if I say it, that means I am really scared, but I'm trying to like push this fear down so that it's not, you know, coming out um, in my everyday life. Make um, it until you make it right. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, and then through all of this, I found um, coaching um, and life coaching is a little bit different than therapy. And um, I found in working with a coach um, that I was really like becoming at peace with myself and I could see that the work I was doing on myself was also um, kind of uh, going out and changing my kids, changing the way I interacted with parents and patients in clinic and um, interacting with colleagues. Um, I became a certified life coach um, because I wanted the tools to be able to mentor people in my job, but I quickly realized that those tools that helped me as a parent were helping my patients in clinic too, um, which is now why I do a lot of coaching um, in addition to medicine. Yeah. Uh, with all your free time, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> um, Okay. So yeah, I'm really interested in that, that aspect of like you begin to experience some freedom and then that the, the residual carryover is that you're noticing the change in your parenting, but you weren't going to the coaching saying, all right, tell me how to be a better parent. Like no. the, the better parenting, you know, kind of came from being a healthier person. And then you're able to recognize how to give your kids, you know, better attention and what they need and all that. Yeah. Um, and then I'm also interested in just knowing with your, you know, so you've got three kids. So one is having pretty significant medical struggles. We know that doesn't happen in a vacuum. And so what did you guys, how are you looking out for your, your other, other two kids during this process? How was that for them? And, and what, did, what did you learn about yourself during that time of parenting them as well? Yeah. So, you know, I have three kids who are all totally different human beings. And um, I, I don't know, about a year ago was reflecting on how different they are as humans. And I was reflecting from the standpoint of, well, that's interesting that they're different because genetically they're from same mom, same dad. Like, how can they be that different? But you know what? Like they are different because each of them had a different mom. And what I mean by that is yeah. that even though I biologically am their mom, like I was a different person for each of my kids. And, um, it, you know, anybody who is a parent, 
will learn things along the way and um, try it on their next kid. And maybe it works, maybe it doesn't. And then you try something else. And that is just how life happens with anything. And parenting's no different. So I can tell you, you know, my, my oldest, who was two at the time that my daughter was diagnosed with neuroblastoma, I, looking back, I uh, know he lost his toddler years because he didn't really have a mom during that time. And um, the I, at some point along this journey, like felt very guilty about it because I felt like, oh, I should have done better for him. I should have, you know, paid more attention or, or done more kind of one-on-one, you know, time with him. But you know what, that anytime we say I should have, it is so not helpful because all it does is bring up guilt and blame and um, the letting that go and understanding, nope, I was doing the best I could in that time with what I had and being proud of what I did at that time. Maybe if I could go back in time, I'd do it differently now that I've lived through it, but you have to just do your best and, um, and let go the mistakes that may have happened along the way because nobody's perfect. Mm. So, you know, I've, I've heard you say this before, but I I'd love for us to talk about it. Now you, you are, you know, beginning in this transformation, you're starting to notice that all these changes and then it becomes apparent like, okay, now I, I am a healthier person with my patients in my office and I'm able to relate to them in a different way. Will you talk about that some, maybe the difference of, you know, you mentioned a little bit the like push through personality that you kind of had um, when you were in the middle of the most stress. And so will you tell us about kind of what some of those practical differences were, whether it was like bedside manner or yeah. like, you know, yeah. time you spent or whatever. Yeah. So, you know, living through all of this, I, the number one thing I learned was that parents who have kids with health issues, they become very good liars. And what I mean by that is that um, outside people often ask, you know, how are you doing? And I go back to the way I was raised and like, you don't ask for help because asking for help is a sign of failure. So I would always respond, I'm fine. I'm fine. And that, um, you know, those words were so far from the truth. Uh, the, um, it's really, I learned and appreciated that they were saying that, but not really living a life where things were fine. And so understanding that, allowed me when I was taking care of patients to um, spend a little bit more time. You know, if I asked them like, how are things going with 
little Johnny's surgeries and yeah. the mom would say, oh, oh things are fine. I'm like, no, no, no. I, I want to know, like, how are they really like, is, uh, is things okay at home? Are you able to, you know, spend a few minutes for yourself or how are things really? So it was going deeper in questions when I got very vague answers back because I knew those vague answers were so not true. Yeah. You're like, oh, I know this game. I played this game. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So when you think about kind of how it's changed you, and then if we're looking at the world on a bigger scale, right now is a pretty unique time in, uh, I mean, I've heard it described as we're, we're experiencing a mental health epidemic um, or, or possibly pandemic globally with, with like, you've all experienced a pretty unique shared trauma in the last couple of years. And then with constant images of, of war and violence that are, are streaming, you know, seemingly everywhere at all times. Um, we're in a unique time in history. And so when you think about the future of medicine and kind of maybe what you've learned, what would your hope be for, for that field going forward, knowing what the needs are going to continue to be for parents and, and kids and, and caregivers in that space? Yeah. So, you know, I, work very hard to make it clear to folks that taking care of your brain is as important as what food you put in your body and how often you exercise. And so talking about mental health is so important because we really need to work on getting rid of the stigma that goes on um, with trying to get help. And I think we're better at it now. We are not perfect. And especially in the medical field, because you know physicians to be credentialed at a hospital have to check a form to say whether they've um, received mental health care. And so I've had physicians that I've worked with that are like, I'm not going to go see a mental health provider because I don't want to check it on the form. So yeah. getting rid of things that impact the ability to get mental health care, I think is so important. But we're better. Um, there's you know, I, in coaching, um, am able to make an impact on somebody's brain um, in a different way than a psychiatrist or psychologist would, but yeah. still better able to show them that we have a choice when we face challenges. And that choice is either you know, curl up in a ball and hide in a corner or yeah. understand that life ebbs and flows. We're always going to get challenges in our life. And so we can take this challenge and turn it into some sort of gift. And those are our two choices, either yeah. crumble up or make it a gift. And yeah. I have really learned through my life that those big challenges I face with my daughter, they are an absolute gift. That was hard to say at the time, yeah. but 
the the confidence that I have in that now really translates to other parents who are going through it too and knowing that it's going to be okay. It is going to be okay. Do you see a future where um, those lines are blurred and we begin to just have neighborhood clinics that both serve mental and medical needs without lines between them? Yeah, I... I hope that we even have better mental health um, in schools for our kids. Because if you don't start early, um, then um, it's hard to really start a habit when you're an adult. It's way easier when you're a kid. I mean, and, and that goes for like, you know, teaching a kid a foreign language is much easier than an adult knowing a foreign language. So why not like make it part of school in a better way than we do right now? Like right now we have school guidance counselors who, you know, uh, sometimes work with a group of kids. Sometimes they're not part of the school. And um, so it um, is, is kind of, hit or miss on whether there's a real impact there. Let's really focus our impact on making it a habit for young kids and so that they grow up with good, healthy way to process emotions and talk about how they're feeling and asking for help. Yeah. So yeah, I, I would love to see mental health and um, and medical health all being part of the same thing, but I'd like it even earlier. Yeah. Well, I, I love that. I have a friend I'm trying to, um, I don't know if bully is the right word, but I'm trying to coax into <laughs> coming and talking about that very idea. There's a, there's a chance that that might get, um, piloted in, I'll just say in the Southeastern United States somewhere sometime soon. Um, and so but I'm fascinated by it because I, I think of, and even I have several friends who are guidance counselors who, um, you know, are doing the absolute best they can with the 260 kids per guidance yes. counselor they've got to watch out for. And the, the guidance counseling covers sometimes in high school settings, college prep and college admissions and, you know, bullying, dealing with anger, right. grief, loss like that. You know, so it's the impossible task, right? Um, right. But yeah, I think that would be fantastic. Um, I love, I love to kind of shift into, you know, some of the, some of the work that you are most specialized in it is helping coach and care for parents who are, you know, currently, um, currently have kids who have chronic health issues. And so, mm -hmm. uh, what, what would you, you know, maybe not advice or, or maybe it is advice. What, what are some of the things that you are working on now? Are there, are there issues that you see or challenges you see that face every family in that situation? Um, I know there are some unique challenges obviously that pop up in What are some of the things that you see happening all the time and, and how do you speak to those things? Yeah. So a couple things come to mind when you ask me that. And first I will say that um, when a parent has a kid with health issues um, and they realize those health issues are going to be around for a longer period of time, it is almost like experiencing a tremendous amount of grief 
about a life that they thought they were going to have and now realize that that life is not going to happen. And so those stages of grief that um, we often refer to when somebody is experiencing a loss, a parent of a chronically ill kid goes through all of those stages in talking about, you know, denial and talk and then finally getting to acceptance that this is the life that I am now going to live with my child. So Mm -hmm. understanding that it's okay to go through that grief and it's part of the process Sometimes just hearing that is so valuable because it's often felt like it's an isolate, it's a very isolating event when this, the life they thought they had has died. Mm. The, the other big thing I will say that I um, talk about with families a lot is Um, advocating for their kid because a child with health issues is going to need somebody to advocate for them, whether it be in the doctor's office, whether it be in the classroom. Um, And some parents just don't have the courage and confidence to advocate. And then when they do, they feel like I didn't do it well, I should have done it better. And There's that should statement again that focuses blame and guilt back on. So it's teaching them to have that courage to really do uh, add to advocate for their kid in a way that they want to. And then finally, I would say that the other piece is learning to ask for help, that it is not a sign of failure. It is actually a sign of strength when somebody is able to verbalize, like, I need help with this, that it's okay. And because we're not supposed to do everything perfectly, and we're not supposed to be the experts in everything in life. So asking for help is okay. And teaching them and getting out of that kind of limiting belief that it's a sign of failure becomes an important part of their journey too. I love that. That's, that's huge. And I think, you know, a big part of that um, with, you know, we've watched friends walk through some of these things and a big part of that when done right is helping to identify who is really able to be here with me in this and, and really be in it with me and who cannot handle it and who mm-hmm. is um, going to need to step aside during this time and not be part of this inner circle. Do you have advice for how to form that circle of, of friends or how to pick your partner, so to speak, in in when you get to this place of needing to really hunker down in your circle? Yeah. I mean, sometimes it's being very objective and taking emotion out of it um, and just kind of picturing yourself as an outside observer and who is it that is going to do the best job at what I need done. 
yeah. you know, the, the other parts yeah. that I would say too, that through my journey with my daughter, I have realized we all need help at some point in time. Oh. And I know when a friend's kid is going through some sort of health issues and they say to me, no, I'm fine. I'm like, no, I want to help you. Uh, but sometimes as the parent who has the sick child, it's you have so much on your mind that you cannot say, okay, fine, you like do my laundry or make me dinner or because there's so much on your mind, you don't even want to like go there. Yeah. So I now have become better at saying, Hey, look, I know you say you don't want help. I want, I am going to make you dinner or I'm going to take your other kids to the park or I, I do offer them the tasks that I needed done when I was a parent in their shoes so that they don't have to think about it and they can just say, yes, come on Monday. That's fantastic. Um, okay. We're wrapping up with Dr. Maureen. And um, I, I, I think maybe my last question for you would just be, you know, with all of the experience that you've had, the, the things that you're working on now, um, how have you noticed in your own life, like uh, caring for yourself, uh, evolve and develop? And and have you had to learn different iterations of uh, taking care of yourself through these different phases of life that have come up? Oh, for sure. Um, and the, uh, you know, I will say now, like I know how important it is for some buddy who is parenting a kid with any sort of issues, they need to take care of themselves. I, I mean, we just look at riding on an airplane and in the airplane, they say, put uh, the adult's oxygen mask on before the kids. Um, like that, that is such an analogy to how things go in life. Like you cannot do a good job or the, the best job of taking care of your kid if your cup isn't full and your oxygen mask isn't on. So I now um, know that taking care of myself is done without guilt and I prioritize it. And it doesn't need to be like, a, you know, several hours or all day, like just give yourself a few minutes to like journal or yeah. a few minutes to like write down some gratitude, yeah. just time to like collect your thoughts. And that can be enough to like keep your oxygen mask on. Yeah. We had, uh, there's a, a good friend of ours um, who's a therapist in Michigan, Chris Woodwike, who's our, um, on our board here. And she, you know, had talked about at one point on one of our shows, there's a difference between self-indulgence and self-care. Um, yes. And, and it doesn't, a lot of times I think of self-care as like, well, I've got to go spend three hours at the spa and get all these things done where I've, you know, for, uh, 
and this is stereotypical, but for men sometimes like, well, I just, I need to get away and like go play golf or go whatever. And those things can be therapeutic for sure. Um, but oftentimes they're also not building in what you actually need um, yes. when you're doing that. And so I think that's super wise and I appreciate that a lot. Um, any, any last pieces of advice or words for, for parents right now who are um, just going through it? Anything else that you want to say before we go today? I would just say, just remember you are doing the best you can with the resources that you have right now and give yourself a little bit of grace because it will be okay. Awesome. Dr. Maureen, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Well, I hope that you got as much out of that conversation with Dr. Michelle as I did. Um, man, just what a fascinating uh, story and guests and, and just that reminder, you know, we talk about all the time at ATC, um, the need for parents to take care of their own stuff, to figure out their own um, uh, triggers and um, realize where certain reactions are coming from. Uh, but we, we refer to it often as doing the work. We have got to, as parents, do the work on ourselves to offer ourselves whole and full and healthy for our kids. Um, so if you have a hope of raising healthy children, it obviously comes from uh, the ability to take care of yourself, be a healthy person yourself, to be able to show and model for your kids what that is, um, as well as being able to then help scaffold and teach them how to do that in their own lives. And so uh, just a wonderful conversation. What a kind uh, human being. So just really enjoyed having um, Maureen on with us today and uh, hope that you did as well. You should go buy her book. You can find it linked in the show notes um, for everybody here in Power to Connect. Um, for uh, Mo and Tana Ottinger, the executive director and senior program director here at ETC. For uh, Kyle Wright, who edits and shares all of the audio. For Taji, the creator of the Music Behind the Empowered to Connect podcast. I'm J.D. Wilson, and we will see you next week.